Hey, my name is Barbie Armenta. I'm a wife, mother, life coach, and founder of Brave One. Everyone has a story, and I believe that you can be inspired in your own life by hearing another woman's courageous story. We are here to talk about purpose, identity, divorce, blending families. If you're talking about it, I want to talk about it. We are here to have brave conversations. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited about today's guest. She is Jen Couch, but also known as Sober Sis. She started the 21 Day Reset for Women because she wanted to share what she learned and experienced firsthand. Currently, close to 20,000 women from all over the world have participated. It's more than a sisterhood. It's a real community of women pursuing being present and sober-minded. Each person has an opportunity and space to renegotiate their relationship with alcohol. We are not a sobriety club, although many do choose to enjoy an alcohol-free lifestyle. Jen, I am so excited that you are here. I'm glad to be here. I just want to share a little bit because how we met is I thought was really interesting. I'm online in 2020 and I keep seeing my cousin in California tagging sober sis in all her posts. And I'm like, who is sober sis and why is she tagging her? And then I looked you up and here you were right in my backyard in Fort Worth, Texas. So reached out, we met for coffee. And the next thing I know... <laughs> I'm at your 50th birthday party. We were instant friends and I just love that about you and just so was so excited to meet you. And I'm really excited that you're here on the podcast, but you were turning 50 and you were telling everyone and I want to know what was your favorite part of turning 50? Oh, thanks Barbie. Yes, I was telling everyone. (laughs) I was like, here it is. I'm half a century Um, and wanted everybody to celebrate that with me or commiserate. But uh, my favorite thing about turning 50 last summer was uh, just the fact that I could really step into who I really am all the way. Um, I really didn't like how I showed up at, at 40, just the decade before. It's amazing what 10 years can do. Um, and so, yeah, I really like just being able to go, you know what? Um, it's not like I've got all of life figured out, um, but I'm showing up authentically me. And that feels really good. I love that so much. But let's go back just a little bit, because this is I'm all about hearing people's story. And so I want to hear all the things. So but let's start with where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? What was it like in your home? Did you grow up in a Christian home or what yeah. was that like? I grew up in Lubbock, Texas, and um, I did grow up in a Christian home. I really grew up, um, you know, I was in in junior high, high school in the 80s in good old Lubbock, Texas, which was actually really fun. I think I liked growing up there because uh, the people were just down to earth. There wasn't really a lot to do, so you really had to uh, connect with the people around you. Everything was all about relationships, so it made growing up there kind of fun. There weren't a lot of distractions. There wasn't much to do. So we found each other. That's good. So then did you stay in Lubbock, go to college? What was that like? Well, you know, like most high schoolers, you have big, uh, big plans to leave your hometown. Nobody's going to stay. And then a lot of us stayed. A lot of us that graduated from a high school stayed and went to Texas Tech. And um, I did too. It was, it was crazy being a college town it was still really separate from my high school experience. When I was in high school, it was very much in high school. And then when I went on to tech, it felt like I had literally jumped into a whole new scene. I pledged a sorority and uh, just got really active on campus, which was, you know, a big 20 minutes from my house. But it felt like it was a world away. 
Now, my husband grew up in Lubbock and he went to Tech. And I know a little bit about Tech's reputation as a party school. So as someone that's known as sober sis, tell me a little bit about (laughs) college and sorority life. You know, yeah. was it the party that I hear? Yeah, uh, definitely. It, it was a party scene for sure. And you asked earlier if I grew up in a Christian home and, you know, I, I did. And so I think for me, those formative high school years really set, uh, set me on a course where I really began growing in a personal relationship with Jesus. And it became very real to me when I was 17, um, which was right before my senior year of high school. So that really set the trajectory up for me when I showed up at Tech that I really wanted to to be different. I didn't realize how different, though, I would actually be by not being in the party (laughs) scene, but being in the sorority scene, being very social. Uh, But quite honestly, for me, it wasn't it wasn't a big deal. I don't know if it was the culture of that time frame. There were definitely people that were there to drink, party, whatever. But there were also a lot of people there that weren't into that. So I didn't feel... um, I didn't feel this sense of loneliness or from the outside looking in. I was actually looking in going, whoa, that looks kind of out of control or, you know, this is pre-Uber, pre-cell phones. And for me, I'm kind of a rule follower by nature. And it looked just kind of like, ah, out of control. And at that point in time in my life, I really didn't see a need to eject out of my own life. I wanted to stay very present in it. And so that worked out for me. That's so good. It's so funny because I, I'm also a rule follower. We definitely have that in common, but I grew up in a very different home. We didn't go to church. I think our family would say they were Christians. I know they would, but we never went to church and my dad was the chief of police, but they were still buying us alcohol for prom. Like that's, that was just what we did. And I was always like, isn't this a law? Like, aren't you the police? Like what's happening? What's going on? Because I just... I think because it was so accessible, I went kind of the opposite way as well. Like I wasn't someone that was drinking and partying because I just had this sense of wanting to follow the rules all the time. So so what would you say was that turning point for you? Yeah. So ironically, I graduated tech, um, married my college sweetheart. So we got married literally the day he graduated tech, the day, graduation day. 1995, because um, I was two years ahead of him in school. So I'd already graduated, um, gone on staff with a group called Campus Crusade, now called Crew. And so I did full-time ministry right out of college, which is a whole separate podcast, how that turned out. But um, yeah, it was just kind of the path God had for me. So while I was uh, working full-time at Baylor University with the Greek system, I was also waiting on my future husband to graduate college. So we literally... Uh, got married then and really Did he spent, walk? He walked down the aisle instead of the <laughs> stage. We say that all the time. I literally had a graduation cake for him at our reception. That's so, awesome. Yeah, yeah. He was 22. I was 24. Um, the exact ages of our kids right now, which is kind of crazy. Um, but so we, we got married and really started building a business, uh, a life together, Um, We started building a family together. So it really wasn't time for drinking to enter in the picture if it hadn't already. Um, So for me, kind of you ask kind of, well, what shifted? How did I go from not drinking in college and in my 20s to something like sober sis? 
Um, and my story is a little bit different there too, because I didn't have a big rock bottom. I didn't have a big external happening that forced my hand to have to change. Um, and that's a big part of my message is that there really is a gray area to drinking and that you really can change your relationship with alcohol at any time for any reason. And, uh, but I, I kind of found myself in my young thirties, uh, working in a network marketing company and at home with the kids by day, they were, you know, just barely school age, like five and six. And I was working at night all over the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex, doing all these stressful, you know, meetings, trying to build a team and kind of wound up in these hotel lobby bars. And I'd always been a Dr. Pepper sweet tea drinker. And all of a sudden, people are like, why don't you get a glass of wine with us, Jen? You know, knock back a beer with us. And I'm like, actually, why don't I? Hello, let me see. Hmm. I kind of went back to my rules that I had when I was younger, because I am the rule follower, right? So I, I did the, you know, am I over 21? Uh, yeah, by a decade. Um, am I going to drink and drive? Actually, no, I drove over here with some friends. I'm in the backseat. That's not a thing. And am I going to drink and get drunk? Uh, no, gosh, I just want to have a glass of wine with my adult friends. This seems like an adult thing to do. So that, that was kind of the catalyst of how drinking entered into my life. It was very adult. It was very glamorous, kind of encouraged. Um, and I think it's also interesting that as adult women, especially moms, there's a peer pressure that enters in that you think you're kind of going to be over by the time you get to that stage in life, but not at all. And so that's kind of my 30s was learning how to navigate the social drinking scene when it is something that I did navigate in my younger days. I just navigated it a different way by not partaking, but being in the settings, not a problem. But this time I started to really feel like, wow, I love this. Where have I been? Um, because all the uh, anxiety, the pressure, the uh, kind of the wound up tight, this was a way to loosen that up a little bit. And as I mentioned earlier, in my younger days, I wasn't trying to lose control. Now I was enough in control and had been in control for so long, it actually felt good to kind of hit the release button a little bit. And so that was me in my 30s, was really beginning to navigate what has now become known as that mommy juice culture. But that was kind of the beginning of it. I can honestly say the industry started changing about then as well. And kind of luring us in, if you will, with the marketing and messaging around alcohol saying, you deserve it. It's your reward. It's a real treat. And I, I really bought into that. And because I was older, I, I just, I didn't really see the negative. I only saw the positive. That was something before I met you that I had been starting to really notice online was, you know, coffee in the morning, wine at night, and that mommy needs her juice idea, that whole thing. I was like, this is a problem. And I, so whenever I met you and I kept seeing these tags in 2020, cause I, I'm assuming it got worse in 2020. Was that a thing? For sure. <laughs> yes. All, all the numbers went up of people, um, using alcohol, um, finding themselves really a lot of people. I work with a lot of women who pre pandemic, really didn't struggle with alcohol. It was there, but it was not uh, something that they really struggled with. 
But once you turn up the, the heat a little bit, it was like a dial that got turned and the, the isolation, the, the boredom, uh, which is a huge reason for drinking. It's just that filler activity just skyrocketed. Yeah, I can only imagine five o'clock somewhere becomes earlier when you're home all day. Right. It becomes a two o'clock Zoom call with, you know, quarantinis. Well, I know there was plenty of Zoom happy hours happening. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and of course, we all know that uh, the alcohol industry and the liquor stores and everything was deemed essential. So these places were always open. Isn't that crazy? We can barely get food in the house, but alcohol and being delivered. Oh, absolutely. You could have a cold margarita to your door with a straw in a to-go cup. Crazy. This episode is sponsored by the Brave Gathering 2022 Revival. Join us at the historic Ridgely Theater coming up October 21st and 22nd. It's two days, live music, real connections, and relatable stories. Get your tickets today at braveone.net forward slash gather. And I cannot wait to see you there. Crazy. Well, I want to hear kind of the turning point for you, but also if you can speak to the social aspect a little bit, you mentioned that because I think, um, that's a real challenge when you're and the peer pressure really is a real thing. And so how to navigate that because people have an opinion. I even know I eat gluten-free and people have an opinion like, oh, you're being good or, oh, you're being bad. And it's the same for alcohol. And why do we have have an opinion about whether or not someone else is doing it? So I would love to, for you to speak to that. Absolutely. The social pressure and just people having social anxiety. It's a huge reason for people wanting to take that edge off when they walk in a crowded room. It can feel overwhelming. Um, people are coming in with different energies. You know, some people had their worst day at work. Some people had their best day at work. Some people just got in a fight with their spouse. Other people are just having a great day. It's a lot of energies clashing. And a lot of times you just don't know where you fit in, even as an adult. So everyone tends to go for that, that bar, that drink, because it seems like it squelches that. And here's the deal. It does. It does squelch that anxiety. For about 20, 30 minutes, you really have anesthetized that heightened awareness and attunement that is natural. But here's the thing. When we take that edge off, we also lose other parts of ourselves. We also lose our edge because now we've lost some of that attunement as well. And in my opinion, when I did that so many times, I, it's almost like I lost connection with myself first, which made it more difficult for me to connect with others. I think the irony is we drink to connect. Let's meet for drinks. Let's get together for drinks. And actually people are just getting further and further away from their, from their true authentic self, their nature. And we lose that feedback loop that we need. But it's so hard when the society it's like a current, it's like a river that's going one way to kind of go the other way. But I've gone from being a non-drinker to a drinker to a non-drinker all in my adult years. So I've got this kind of weird vantage point of contrast. A lot of the women that I get to meet and work with really have been drinking since high school and now they're 50 and they have no idea who they are. It's an identity crisis of who am I without a drink in my hand? 
I met my husband, you know, they'll say, you know, I met my husband at a bar. It's always been our thing, our activity. Um, I, you know, some of them have, have been a drinker for 30, 40 years. And now all of a sudden they're showing up differently in the world and it's very overwhelming. Um, so it's, it's real. I think going in, you know, pre-decided, pre-planning, having support is key. And also what I found is people typically don't care as much what I'm drinking as long as I don't judge what they're doing. If, if I'm not there kind of, you know, with my sober sis hat on, so to speak, although I literally wear it a lot. Um, I have one. <laughs> um, if I just show up really confident and comfortable in my own skin and invite other people to do the same, no matter what they're choosing to drink, then I feel like it kind of takes some of that, what are we doing, you know, uh, judgment away. And then really after that first round, definitely nobody cares what I'm drinking. Um, that's been my experience, but it's that first initial, sometimes it's 30 seconds, sometimes it's three minutes, you know, whatever it is, it's normal. And I think in our society, we've circumvented that normal feeling because we just want to get away from it so fast. And it's just uncomfortable for a minute while you kind of find who you're going to talk to, where you fit in the room. And I think that's a skill to practice. And most people just don't give themselves any practice at doing that. They go in straight for the, for the happy hour, the bar, they've got their two drink tickets for the networking event. And they, they bypass that too fast and they sell themselves short because they don't realize how much they have to offer the room with their presence. Oh, that's good. So what was the turning point for you when you decided it's gotten out of hand? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> totally. So age 40 to 45 for me was a real doozy. Uh, it was, those were really challenging years for me. Um, we've got two adult children and, um, our oldest, our daughter during those years was 13 to 18 was my 40 to 45. And, um, those were just really challenging years. She and I would both admit it right now. <laughs> uh, those were really challenging years. She was trying to find herself. I was trying to kind of survive those years of raising a teenager, letting go, uh, a lot of anxiety, there were times, you know, I just felt kind of helpless or because of the way I grew up in my relationship with my parents and being the rural follower that I am, um, I was pretty compliant and almost to a fault, kind of a high performer. And um, I think my daughter really wanted to, to kind of just set her own course. And I, I love her personality, especially now in her almost mid-20s. It's really served her well. But to raise that kind of fierce yet fragile personality um, was a challenge for me. It was just new territory. And so I found during those years, um, wine o'clock was a real uh, routine for me. What started out as kind of a social pleasantry and something that I got together and did at book club or a networking event or on a date night with my husband turned into a Tuesday night at home in my own kitchen while I'm getting the spaghetti going because so many women open a bottle of wine or whatever your drink of choice is while they're cooking. And that was like my cue. That was like my trigger for like, oh, I did everything mindful today. I did everything responsible today. I got everybody where they needed to go. I filled out all the school forms. I woke up, had a great quiet time. Then I went, you know, and walked my dog for two miles. 
Then I went to a yoga class, sweated out from the night before, um, juiced my kale at lunch, did my green juice, ran my errands. About three o'clock, I'm getting tired. Yep, I'm starting to bonk. That 3 p.m. low blood sugar, kind of starting to feel like self-care. I think I'm going to have a glass of wine tonight. Or I would have good intentions like, no, I'm not going to drink tonight. But still, around three or four, my mind would start to kind of play ping pong. It was like a mental tug of war ensued. And uh, by five o'clock, I was like, you know what? I deserve it. All my friends are doing it. The world's doing it. Cut yourself some slack. Don't be such a perfectionist. Uh, you know, relax a little bit. You'll be a better mom. You'll, you'll, be, you'll be more chill. You won't have to worry about the conflict around you. Uh, cooking dinner's boring sometimes. It's really laborious. You can make it a little bit more fun. And so that was my MO for years. And I, I didn't like it because it felt very divided for me, like I was dividing myself with a divided mind. I was one person by day with different intentions and then another person in the evening with really no intentions. And for me, that felt divided. And, and I really wanted to be wholehearted. And as a Christian, as a mom, as a wife, I wanted to be there for my family and serve them. But what I found is during this wine o'clock time, I was just kind of slowly drifting away. Nothing bad was happening, but I just wasn't all there. And I just started playing small in my own life. And that, that was, yeah, five years of back and forth moderating, taking breaks, going weeks, months without drinking because I could. I wasn't physically addicted to alcohol. And that's why it's so important to understand that drinking has a spectrum and that you can be anywhere on that spectrum. And if it's not aligning with you or who you are, it's okay to look at it. It's okay to make a change versus going, well, I guess it has to get worse before it gets better, which was my mentality for a while. So I thought, I don't know what to do. I'm in this gray area drinking zone. If I even talk about alcohol, people are going to label me. People are going to judge me. That was my fear. Um, and so I kept quiet and just tried to kind of manage my cravings and my desires for this drink that had become very valuable to me. I love that you talk about the spectrum because I had never heard of gray area drinking before I met you. And so my mentality was that you were either an alcoholic or you could just drink there because you didn't get sober if you weren't an alcoholic and you didn't hit rock bottom, you know, there was nothing in the middle. And I think there's so much in the middle. And so I love that you talk about that. So if you could just flush that out just a little bit more for us so that people can know, is that me? Exactly. And really, I mean, picture it like a bell curve. That's really where most people are. Um, there's only about 10% of heavy drinkers that really do fit in that alcohol use dependency state where you really do need you know, intervention and other things, but that leaves everybody else either, whether they are just on the drinking spectrum because they just drink a couple of times a year at a wedding toast, you're on the drinking spectrum. You're just a one, you're just like there. But I think most people really do end up in that middle zone and it kind of creeps in. It's very, very subtle. Um, it took me years to get to a point where I was just really so dissatisfied with, with how I felt because of drinking internally, mentally. It took me years to get there. It wasn't overnight. I didn't just flip a switch and all of a sudden, um, and just knowing my background, yeah, I, I didn't even start till my thirties, um, and, and quit in my mid 
40s. So I had about a 15 year run in there <laughs> where I could just tried it all. But, um, yeah, I think if you're starting to drink on autopilot, if you're starting to drink sometimes when you don't even really want to, but you have the mentality of, well, this is what I do. I don't know how to fill this time. I don't know how to relax as well without it. These are kind of red flags. Um, if you if you set a, a kind of a limit for yourself and then you pass it a lot, or you have a lot of rules around your drinking, um, like I did. I had all kinds of rules around, I'm a, I'm a rule follower. I'll apply rule following to drinking. Yeah, no, that did not work at all. Um, or, or I should say it worked until it didn't. And that was my challenge with constantly managing and moderating an addictive substance, which I don't think enough people talk about the nature of the substance itself. They make it seem like a moral failure or like you're doing something wrong when really your brain is working. It's firing on all cylinders to crave something that really creates a thirst for itself. So your brain's working fine. If you drink alcohol and you want more and you tend to drink more than you did uh, five years ago than you do now, that's actually the nature of alcohol itself, working. Your body's working. That's It's called tolerance. <laughs> and when tolerance rises, so does dependence. They go hand in hand. And that's how easily um, things can turn into addictive behavior is it just, it accumulates and accrues over time. So it's very, very subtle. I think people are waiting for this big, this big event, this big rock bottom. And uh, I just want to give the message out there that now if something's not sitting right with you or you feel like, wow, I'm just, I'm so misaligned. I mean, I was working out so hard every day and drinking 500 calories every night. No wonder I couldn't meet my health goals, you know, but I didn't put the two together. I didn't realize that alcohol was actually increasing my anxiety. I thought it was subduing it. I didn't know the science. And that was a huge breakthrough for me when I was about 45, almost 46 is when I decided, okay, I've got to change my, my mindset here. Instead of just trying to quit, 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 put it down, no more. Um, I want to just learn. I want to learn about it. Why in the world did I go from being a non-drinker that was actually happier without it to being a drinker that can't imagine being happy without it? Where did it get such importance in my life? So I really began to kind of pop the hood in my own life. I pulled off the drinking highway, popped the hood, and started to just look inside and, and ask myself, why am I drinking? What is alcohol actually doing to my sleep, my anxiety, my energy level? What's actually going on? And instead of trying to stiff arm alcohol and, and just take another long break where I tried to ignore it, I actually brought it in closer, kind of stared it down. Um... Uh, and, and that actually helped me. It made me feel a lot more empowered instead of, oh, alcohol is going to get me. It's got this horrible, you know, cast on me. It's cast a spell on me. I thought, no, actually, I'm the one choosing to put it in my body. Why? Why am I doing that? Why am I doing that on repeat autopilot? It's like, you know, hangover, wake up, rinse, repeat, do it again. Why am I doing that? And so that really helped me to start going with a different mindset instead of just behavior modification, just changing my actions because I could do that. Nothing had ever changed inside. And so I started kind of working my way back. 
I know I hear you talk a lot about the detox to retox loop. And funny, I was in a restaurant and the menu actually had a list of beverages that one side was detox and the other side was retox. I'm like, they're not even hiding it anymore. No. Like this is where we're at. So tell me kind of your definition of that detox to retox. Yeah, it's so true. It's doing all the right things by day, being sober minded, meaning awake, alert, aware, you know, present in your own life. And then somewhere in there hitting, hitting the eject button and just going, you know what, I'm out of here. Um, or this is how I'm going to socialize. Now I'm going to erase a little bit of who I am and I'm going to show up another way. And, um, so that retox, it does, it just, it just undoes so much of what we do during the day that is so healthy and it's such a loop. It's such a cycle. Now you were at the brave gathering last year and one of the tips that you shared that I think about all the time, because it is such a social thing. And you said, if you go into a party or something and someone offers you a drink, you don't want to say no. You say, yes, I'll take some water first and then I'll decide. And I was like, that's such a good practical, simple tip that you, where you don't have to say no, you don't have to offer an explanation. So any other tips you can give us in that, in that way of how we deal with those social settings? Absolutely. I think it's all in how you frame it in your mind. If you're walking into a, a, a happy hour or a party or a, a family reunion or wherever, and you've got it framed in your mind that you're going to be left out, you're a loser, everyone's staring at you, you're going to, you're going to bring that in. You're going to just bring it on. But if you walk in like, I'm doing something really great for myself. Um, this is for me, not for anybody else. Um, I've got a really strong why, why I want to change. And it's personal integrity. It's, it's my deal. It's my show. So I walk in with confidence because I've already begun to tell myself, this is good for me. This is, I'm doing the right thing for me. And so then I walk in with a smile on my face. I've already projected that I'm going to have a great time because I'm going to bring my real self and I'm going to really connect with people. Um, and I'm going to get the feedback I need. If I need to stay longer or leave earlier, I'm going to know. And um, so I just walk in and, and like you said, instead of uh, when someone says, can I get you a drink and me acting awkward and like, uh, you know, no, I'm a non-drinker, just getting all weird. Um, I just go, yeah, sure. What you got? Or I'd love some water. You know, I've been running around all day. I'm just so thirsty. Let's start with water. And it gives me a minute to survey the land, survey the situation. Um, and then I can go talk to the bartender and see if they've got a Topo Chico or just start to get my game plan. But at that point, I'm getting past that awkward phase that we talked about earlier that most adults are just trying to run from. I just kind of lean into it and I'm like, okay, here we go. But then 20 minutes later, I'm feeling really good about it. And so it's playing that movie forward just a little bit and longer into the night. I, you know, I plan my nights now based on the morning I want to have. So they're very tied in. I, have, I know what I'm doing on Friday night because I know what I'm doing on Saturday morning. And I don't want to wake up hungover again, ever again. <laughs> and it's been over five years since I've had a hangover. And that feels awesome. And it just feels good that I never have to have a hangover again. I never, I don't have to drink again. I can drink what I want when I want. And so I, even though I'm AKA sober sis, I really don't walk around identifying as a sober person or someone in recovery or free from addiction. I just walk around saying, I'm, I'm sober minded. Um, I'm living an alcohol-free lifestyle, just like I know you're gluten-free. 
I'm alcohol free. It's, it's what works for you. And, uh, fortunately that's becoming more and more socially acceptable as people become aware of the drinking spectrum. And, uh, this is just a, a fun little factoid that I just heard came out. The alcohol free beverage industry has grown 506% since 2015. So something's happening out there. And I like to think that, you know, I can be a small part of that movement, this zero proof movement that's happening out there. And it's very exciting. There's so many opportunities. I was somewhere the other day and they had a whole mocktail menu. So there's so many options. So you can still feel celebratory when you're out with your girlfriends or on date night or whatever. And it doesn't have to be alcohol, but you can still have the fancy glass. Totally. So, and that's so much of what it's about, right? So More much than of the alcohol. what it's about, yeah. So I know you give tons of tips online. Everyone should follow Sober Sis on Instagram because you can get tons of great tips, recipes um, for mocktails, all the things. But also, of course, we would love to encourage you to do the 21 Day Reset, which will be just starting this week. That's so, right. It'll start at the beginning of the month. And it's just women from all over the world. Uh, wanting to become the best version of themselves, just hitting the reset button in their relationship with drinking, doing with others. And I share a, a, well, everything that I've learned that helped me in those initial days where I was learning instead of trying to just quit. And I was starting to understand the science um, and how it was affecting my body. And it's just really encouraging, empowering. We don't wear labels. There's no shame. There's no judgment. It's pretty cool. Yeah, you can actually be sober and not have to say it, right? Be on Instagram, hashtag sober. You can hashtag sober sis all you want, but you can actually just choose to make another choice and not have, it's like being vegan. You can be vegan without telling anyone, right? Yeah, and you can just you can just take a break and try it. And that's really the approach of, of my program is just, hey, t take a break with us. Skip the drink tonight. Skip it. Skip it for a few days and you'll be amazed at how good you feel and because of community and connection, you won't feel isolated. You won't feel alone. And if you can talk to a bunch of other women who are navigating wine o'clock at the same time you are um, and doing something different, it's really empowering. I love that you have such a strong community because I talk to so many women all every day that they are missing community. And you have such a strong community of women. And I'm really excited because, as I said, you were at the Brave Gathering last year. You will be with us again this year. Oh, yeah. And a great opportunity for to come and everyone get to meet you, uh, to hear more about what you do, to see you in person. Um, so I'm excited about that. I would love, if you don't mind, if you would share what your experience last year was like at the Brave Gathering. Oh, my gosh, Barbie. It was so awesome. I walked it. First off, you just run top-notch events. I just walked in and I was like, wow, this is so well thought through just from the bracelet to the backdrop to all the all the people that you brought together it was just amazing and just such a great atmosphere of women supporting women i just felt like you could easily walk in and um, realize again you're around women who are trying to be real up level their lives and share their stories. And it just felt like such a great atmosphere. The music was awesome. And I hear we're going to have Elizabeth again yes. this year. And that blew my mind. I was like, wow, she's so talented. So excited for more people to get to hear her this year. So good. And she wrote us a song. <laughs> it was amazing. And yeah. she's in the studio recording it now. And wow. so we'll have an even more 
up-leveled version of it this year. And at the Ridgely Theater. I mean, that's going to be incredible um, atmosphere and just the energy. It's going to be it's going to be so alive this year. I love that we're in a theater that has its own story because it was built in the 40s and just all the things that have been there in the past that we get to jump in and be part of the theater story as well. So I can't wait to be there and I can't wait for people to get to meet you in person. Um, But I have one last question that I'm going to be asking all of my guests. You can answer serious, funny, you choose, but what is the bravest thing that you have ever done? Good question. Okay. Yeah. You told me you were going to ask me, but didn't tell me what it was. Wow. I have done some brave things in in my day. Uh, But just, I I would say for me, starting, starting sober sis, for being a Lubbock, Texas girl that, you know, was, uh, you know, involved in my sorority and and all, I, I was president, I was standards chairman, I was all these things in my younger days, to then hit 50 and really plant my flag that this is my life calling purpose and passion to help women renegotiate their relationship with drinking, going from an identity as a non-drinker for so long felt very brave to me. Oh my gosh. I felt like I was literally sticking my neck out there, but I thought, you know what? There are so many women that need to see, I don't know, somebody like me, um, because I needed to see somebody like me. I needed to see someone who, you know, loved her husband, loved her family. The wheels weren't coming off, um, at least externally. They weren't internally for me. But, you know, I think women needed to see that. So I thought, put your brave on, Jen. Put your brave on because you've got to stick your neck out there because you've got to go find that gal who's also in the battle. She's in the fight. She's in a foxhole and she's by herself. And there's a whole group of us. If I can just get out there and keep going for her, she can know this kind of freedom too. So you've got to get brave. You've got to go out there. And it feels like that. It feels like I am putting on my gear and running out into fire, you know, and shots fired and all the, all the things that it feels like to be vulnerable and put yourself out there. But I feel so compelled that I must do this because there's someone else waiting to hear the message and be a part of, of this movement. So I love it. Well, you are changing lives and you're such an inspiration and, and it's twofold because also as becoming this entrepreneur at 50, that's inspiring because women need to know it's not too late. I went to school to be a coach at 48, you know, and so it's not too late for women to have that, that change at this point in our life. If we're still here, God's not done. (laughs) That's right. And so it's so inspiring watching you. And I know that you're changing lives and we want everyone to be sure and check out Sober Sis and the 21 day reset. You have a few days to get to jump in. Uh, You don't want to miss it. It's so powerful. So thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Loved it. (laughs) Thanks for having me. And I'm really excited about just all that God's doing and all that's ahead for us. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for today's conversation. If this resonated with you, please save this podcast to your playlist and share it with your friends. If there's a conversation that you want to hear, make sure and reach out at braveone.net and send a topic request. Until our next episode, remember to put your brave on.